Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Did I save the fun ones for Friday? Oh, I might have. Oh, I might have. The young guns. Who doesn't love breaking down the young up-and-coming players? Oh, that's the fun stuff. And that's what we've got on the docket today. The case for number two continues here on Friday. Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Off-season episode number 70 damn five. How the hell did that happen? That's a lot. Good Lord. We're 15 weeks. Right? I did that math, right? Into the off-season. I pride myself on quick mental math. And then if I screw it up, I'm going to feel real dumb. Yeah, no, I think we're okay. Man, 15 weeks. Well, you know we're in countdown mode now. uh, Because we are three months and like two weeks from the end of the regular season. And we're now less than three months from the start of the regular season. August, September, October. I believe it's October 17. No, 18. October 18. Start of the NBA season. And the best part for us is that we're not really counting down to opening day. We're counting down to draft season, which is like, I don't know, about a month out. Mid-end of August, you really can start to dive into it a little bit harder. I mean, we're going to work on some of this stuff beforehand. We've got buckets to build. That's a multi-week adventure on the podcast. And at some point here, you're going to see one of these big trades pop. Donovan Mitchell... That'll pop Durant, Kyrie, if they get moved. I mean, obviously, all of these are a big if, but then we can start to really line up our names into groupings, of course. But anyway, we've been rolling this week on what the deal is with the number two pick. Luka and Curry... That was Monday, KD, Joel Embiid on Tuesday, LeBron and Harden Wednesday, Trey and Cat yesterday. There was a little bit of a, a theme to the last three days. And looking back, maybe I should have done Luca and Giannis on Monday, since the theme with those two guys is can they fix free throw percent in particular? And with Luca, you kind of need to fix both percents. Or at least make one of them a positive, as opposed to sort of a a non-negative and then a big negative. And then you've got turnovers to worry about as well. But we did Curry, uh, which means that for Monday, we probably got Jason Tatum and Giannis. And that might be where we just sort of stick a pin in it. Unless you guys want me to stretch it out and do DeJounte Murray and like Kyrie Irving on another day or something like that. But I, I don't know. Anthony Davis maybe creeps in there. I, I just, no one's taking AD at two, so I didn't feel like it was entirely necessary. I feel like most of these other names we're talking about are guys that have, they can stake a claim to the number two spot. What have we figured out so far? Before I dive into the young guns today, what we figured out so far is that no one has a clear-cut case for number two. When you look at ADP, and likely because of what we've talked about so far, ADP is going to reflect 
the guys that are a clear-cut number two in maybe some other format. So in nine cat, there's no obvious number two because Kevin Durant probably will have the second best per game production this coming year. But can we trust him to get to 63 or 64 ball games? I don't know. Joel Embiid will probably have the number three overall or per game production. But can he get into the mid 60s in games played again, two seasons in a row? Big question mark there. LeBron, Steph, these guys all have uh, Harden. They've all been at the top of the board before. Can we trust any of them to play a full season? Is Steph in letdown mode? There's all this stuff. But to me, it does feel like a lot of what we've talked about so far is, from a per-game standpoint, who has the best claim to the number four spot, which this last season was occupied by LeBron. Will it be LeBron again? Will Steph bounce back on the field goal percent side to cover up maybe some of the, I don't know, coasting you may see out of him? Does Giannis continue to improve his free throw stroke? Does he move farther up the board? So, because Jokic is such a runaway at number one, when you get to ADP, which I think, you know, we'll have, those numbers will probably come out in the next, like, three weeks at Yahoo, if I'm remembering right. I feel like they usually come out in mid-August. I can already tell you, Luka and Giannis are going to have ADPs in the top three or four. Because those two guys are going to get drafted, I think Giannis in particular, well, maybe both, really, in points leagues, super high up the board. James Harden, too. All those guys with the four-plus turnovers, and Giannis is at 3.3, so not quite. But Luka at 4.5, Harden at 4.4, Trey at 4.0. These guys that don't necessarily excel at the percentages, Luka in particular, because he's a net negative in both of them, at least... You know, Harden and Trey, those guys are big positives in free throw. Giannis is a big positive on field goal. There's only one thing dragging him down. But those guys are going to go really high in points leagues because they don't have the one or two categories sagging their value. And, you know, you can... It, it's pretty easy to just throw up a punt filter on whatever you're looking at. And, like, if you're punting field goal percent or you know whatever it might be or or free throw percent Giannis does jump to number two he jumps past LeBron they're quite close by the way but he jumps past LeBron and then Giannis from a health standpoint is a bit more reliable than LeBron just age gap there of like what like 11 12 years something like that so Giannis is going to go around number two in points leagues, basically every time. Luka is going to get that big, giant, fat bounce and go up near the top of points leagues every time because both of his percentages and his terrible turnovers, they go away, basically. And when I say points league, guys, I mean ones that don't look at percentages or turnovers. I know that there are some that do, and if you're, like, sitting back going, come on, Dan, I'm in one of the... I get it. You're not in the majority of leagues. And this is what clouds that whole element. This is why ADPs get sort of mishmashed. Points League's total value this last year, it was Jokic, still was running away at number one. Then Joel Embiid, LaMelo Ball, Giannis, Luka, DeJounte Murray, Jason Tatum. These guys were basically all in one 
chunk together. You could probably even throw Trey in there. Or if you really wanted to split it into smaller chunks, Jokic was one, Embiid and Ball were two, and then Giannis, Luka, Murray, Tatum, and Young were all in the third group. That's by totals, so obviously a guy like LaMelo jumped up there because of 75 games played. Per game, in a points format, or a typical points format, it was Jokic, LeBron, Luka, Embiid, Giannis. So those two guys with the percentages stuff, Luka and Giannis I talk about here, they were in the top five. And then everybody loves them, so they're going to get that extra little bounce. So from an ADP perspective... Those guys are going to be at the top of the board, even if that doesn't really make sense in a nine-category format. But we'll talk more about Giannis on Monday. We've already talked about Luka. This is going to create even more of a kind of second-bucket bubble. It'll incorporate more names because guys that, I mean, with all due respect to how awesome he is at the basketball game, the basketball game, Luka is not a nine-cat superstar. He's an eight-cat superstar, he's a points league superstar, and he's a reality superstar. But nine-cat, not so much. And even eight-cat, it's like eh, teetering. Because with the percentages in there, he's just going to have a rough time getting to the top of the board. He was still on the turn in value if you're only getting rid of turnovers, so if you're rolling 8-cat. Yeah, it helped him a lot, among the most of anybody in the NBA, but still didn't get him into that upper, upper crust, which was still Jokic, KD, Embiid, LeBron, and then Harden's a guy who also jumped way up the board when turnovers got turned off. Harden was number 5 last year per game in 8-cat which is why he'll probably stay relatively high again from an ADP standpoint. But let's talk about the young guys today. That's the I, I've done nine minutes on uh, the older guys, which, you know, whatever. It's still fantasy relevant, but I, I did want to get into the, the two names that I've been kind of promising, and those are LaMelo Ball and Tyrese Halliburton. I think it's really important to take kind of the full season picture from each of these guys. And what we saw at the very beginning of the year, like you gotta you gotta go back and you gotta sort date ranges in your in your system here to make sure you're getting all the stuff right. At the beginning of the year, Lamella Ball was a mid first rounder. First, call it third of the season, so twenty five to thirty games. Lamella Ball was number eight. Really number seven, because there was a guy in there who only played one or two games. So he was number seven. He was mid-first rounder. I think he didn't miss a game in that stretch. Might be wrong there. 20 points, three threes, eight boards, eight assists, 1.8 steals, .4 blocks, just under 43% from the field, 91% at the free throw line, and 3.1 turnovers per game. Okay. What about as the season rolled on? How did things progress for LaMelo? Well, he tapered off. Over the last 50 games of the year, so basically the latter two-thirds, LaMelo was number 34. 20 points per game, that stayed pretty constant. Three threes, 43% from the field, that all stayed. But 
Rebounds were down from eight to six. Assists were down from eight to seven and a half. Steals were down from 1.8 to 1.4. And free throw percent was at 86. Still good, but not 91. Turnovers were up ever so slightly. So the question we have to ask ourselves on a guy like LaMelo is, first, what are the improvements we're looking for season over season? He improved his free throw percent a lot. I don't know that that's going up all that much more than high 80s. Can you really expect someone to to consistently... I mean, it's really hard to be a foul shooter that gets to 90 on an annual basis. There's just a handful of players in the NBA. They've done it for a very long time. It's not a fluke with them. And maybe Ball gets there. I mean, maybe he can tack on that extra 2 or 3%, but I don't think we can expect it. Can we expect his field goal percent to get any better? That's a really hard one also because he's a point guard, so a lot of his shots are not going to be coming right in front of the rim. He took seven and a half three-pointers a game last year and actually shot a decent clip out of him at 39%. He shot 46% from two last season as opposed to 49% from two in his rookie year. So maybe that's the thing that bumps back up ever so slightly. And the field goal percent perhaps gets from 43 to 44. But we're talking small incremental stuff. Whereas then looking at almost the rest of his numbers. He played 32 minutes a game. I guess could they possibly get him up to 33 or 34? Like maybe there's this. We can squeeze 5 or 6% more of just time on the floor. But do we think he's going to score more than 20 while also orchestrating the offense? I think that's kind of asking a lot. They still have a lot of guys on that team that can go and get a bucket. Rozier, Hayward. Even if Miles Bridges is not playing for, might be a while, should be a while based on what we're seeing. But we'll reserve judgment on all of that. Look, I'm just going to kind of keep my nose out of it until everything is settled. We make a bad habit in the in the world of Twitter and media of acting like we know everything from seeing a couple of pictures. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I'm just going to sort of I'm gonna push it to the side until everything is settled. What I am going to assume for now is that he's probably not playing. <laughs> That's a fair, fair assessment. They got P.J. Washington. I think Oubre is still around there unless his contract kicked up. Yeah, they've got some young guys. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a chance he gets an extra shot or something like that this year. So maybe the usage does click forward ever so slightly. But he was 21 this last season. And as good as 21 sounds, the jump from 21 to 2 is basically like doubling your fantasy value against a neutral or, a, you know, like a whatever we decided a neutral player was, like number 80. You're like, it, it's really, it's, it's pretty significant to get from LaMelo to Kevin Durant in fantasy value. To get to that spot on a per-game basis... LaMelo would probably have to get closer to 20 shots per game 
And the field goal percent would probably have to get up into the 47-48 range. And so then you're looking at a little bit like what DeJounte Murray did this last year. So maybe it's not 20 shots per game, but you know maybe you get the assists up to 8, the, or the assists up to 9, the rebounds up near 8, add a rebound, add an assist, add a quarter of a steal. Lamelo's going to be better at the foul line than Murray. But he's going to have to catch up to him in field goal percent somehow. And that's how you get there. It's not insane if Ball plays two extra minutes per game and takes an extra shot and a half where, you know, maybe he's 22, 23 points per game this coming year. And I don't think the rebounds go up. That's asking a lot. That probably stays near seven, six, six to seven. But, you know, it's possible the assist could go up from seven and a half to eight and a half. I don't know about the steals moving very much. You could see LaMelo get to kind of like around the turn on a per-game basis with a few small incremental bumps. And then if he plays in 75 games again at the turn, that puts him kind of in what Trey Young did this last year, which was get near the turn per game, be very, very durable, and all of a sudden you're a top-five guy by totals. So it's actually not insane to see a pathway for Ball to get there by totals this coming year. But that does hinge a lot on health, which is handicappable, but not easily. A lot of things can disrupt an otherwise healthy season. Fluke injuries. I mean, it was great. LaMelo played 75 at 82 games this last year. That may or may not happen again. We don't really have the book on him yet. We know his brother is not a healthy basketball player. Is there that component genetically? Do there Are they going to have sort of wonky knees in the ball family, or was that Alonzo problem? It's not fair, I don't think, to draw conclusions from one sibling to another, but also we can't really draw the opposite conclusion. We can't say after one healthy season he's a healthy player. He did have a big injury in his rookie season, remember. Played 51 out of 72 games. Missed a good chunk. It's very hard to take a player at number two where a best-case scenario for them is basically like top four. Or I shouldn't say top four because that implies you could get above that. But the best-case scenario for them is like getting to number four. And that's only if they play 90-plus percent of their team's games. That's a very, very hard bar to set. You guys know me. It's why we tend to gravitate towards slightly older players who fall a little bit further. And it's why I've looked at a guy like Kevin Durant, and again, we don't know where he's going to be this year, but let's assume he's someplace where he gets to go and be Kevin Durant. His floor is basically what we saw this year. He missed a third of the season with rest games and a two-month injury, and he was still number 12 by totals. He was still a turn player, despite missing 27 ball games. And I get it. LaMelo Ball actually finished in front of Kevin Durant, but only by a little bit. Despite playing in 20 extra games this last year. 
And this is not a knock on ball. It's just a way of seeing the board. We've talked about this before on the show, but I'm guessing because a lot of people sort of joined up uh, midstream this year, which, by the way, super cool. Thank you again, everybody, for listening and continuing to make this the most listened to July of all time. By a lot, by the way. Like, it's we're, we're way past the record, and now we're just trying to blow past what we did in June last month. This is not a knock. What we're saying here is not a knock on LaMelo or, and we haven't talked about Halliburton yet, it's not a knock on either of them. And it's not necessarily to say that KD is like God's gift to fantasy because injuries are real and we have to account for them. But it's looking at that visualize. Close your eyes with me here. Close your eyes with your old pal Dano and visualize a numerical bar that runs horizontally in front of your face. At the left end of the horizontal bar is the number one, meaning the first-ranked fantasy player. This horizontal bar is a ranking bar. At the right end is number 100. What we're going to do with this, you can, you can color code the bar whatever you like. In my mind, the bar is gray. It's a gray bar, and it's got little hash marks all the way across it, probably every five spots, 1, 5, 10, 15, and so on, all the way to 100. And on this bar, we're going to put a little marking where a guy is likely to get drafted. So you mark their ADP. And for, we don't have them for this coming season, but if we're going to guess, I'm going to guess that both KD and LaMelo probably have an ADP between 5 and 10. I might be just outside the mark, but let's just put a little mark at 7.5. We'll start with Kevin Durant. 7.5 is the ADP. Now what I want you guys to do is to superimpose a blue, almost like a highlighter, a blue bar on top of the gray bar where KD could end up this season in terms of per game rank. What's the worst Kevin Durant's per game rank could possibly be? By the way, you guys can do a little bit of sort of fun with Kevin Durant on this one and you can look at pretty much every season uh, over the last 15 years. And even when coming back from a blown tire, he was still inside the top seven. And most of the time, provided he actually played because he missed an entire season in there, Kevin Durant was inside the top three. Most of the time. Even with the Warriors, he was up there, which was kind of amazing when you consider how many players he was sharing the basketball with. Remember, he was number one. I think it was his first season in Golden State, and then he was three, and then he was like six. And when he was in Oklahoma City, he was always top two. Always. So. And then there's a year in there where he... Didn't he blow a tire in OKC one year also? I might be... I don't know. Suddenly a long time ago, all of a sudden. He might have been like top five that year. All right, so your Kevin Durant blue line... Runs from 2 to about 7. Per game, a healthy Kevin Durant, which he is coming into this season, could basically be no worse, again, per game, than number 7. It's kind of amazing. All right, let's do the same blue line for LaMelo Ball. What's the best he could be per game? What do we think? 7, 8? Is that the best? I don't think he's getting inside the top 5. Even with all those incremental jumps... You know, he would have to take a flying leap forward to get into the top five per game. 
Like, you need to be good in both percentages. It has to be pretty overwhelming. Look at what LeBron did. He's going to have to add five, six points probably to his game. He'll probably have to add more defensive stuff. All of that's most likely not going to happen. We're going to get partway there, but probably not all of it. So best case scenario for LaMelo per game, seven. Worst case, he could do what he did the second half of this last year, 30. It's conceivable, you know, six boards, seven assists. It's all really good, but, you know, if he's at 1.3 steals instead of two, if his free throw is at 85 instead of 91, if the field goal stays sub 43, then he's between 20 and 30. So that blue line runs from 7 to almost 30. Now let's take another line. Let's call it a green one and put the totals marker there. And for KD, I think you put the totals marker. That runs from 2 to about, I don't know, 18. Because like we saw, he could still miss a third of the season and remain inside the top 12. But even if we adjust down a little bit, he probably stays inside the middle of the second round. And what about Ball? Well, this is where he catches up because we know KD's best case scenario is probably 68 to 70 games. A best case scenario for Ball is high 70s. He could get up to 77 games this coming year. Who knows? Trey played 76. Tatum played 76. That was generally about the best in the league. So LaMelo Ball could play 75, 76 games again. And a worst case is the same, you know, you a third of a season. We're eliminating the you miss the entire season because that could happen to anyone. You can't predict that. Slightly more likely, I think, to happen to a KUD because he's older. But again, we got to wipe that. We have to take that out of the equation. So for Ball now, this green line also runs from number two, but also runs down much farther because if he's 25th per game and misses a third of the season... Then he's down at 40-something by totals. So Ball's green line runs from 2, let's say, to 45. So when I compare these players and I say, who are you more likely to take at number 2, while both of them do have the, the prospect of landing there by totals, I don't think they each have the opportunity to land there per game, but we'll, we'll mostly look at totals here. There's just one where the green bar is clustered a little bit more. You have a better chance of ending up inside the top 15 with one incrementally. What about Tyrese Halliburton? Because we're starting to run a little bit long here. Halliburton, over the entire season, actually finished very close to LaMelo Ball. But this is why, at the very beginning of this discussion, I said I wanted us to look at the entire season landscape, not just the final number. As you guys may recall, at the beginning of the year, Halliburton was on the Sacramento Kings, for better or worse. (laughs) And we were all feeling pretty good about the fact that he was kind of rumbling along in Sacramento at about a top 30 clip. 14 points, four boards, seven assists, two and a half defensive stats, 46% 46% from the field, 82% at the foul line. He was hitting two three-pointers a game. He was just sort of like kind of quietly cruising along at a really nice pace. And then, oh, then he got traded. And Halliburton got moved 
to a team where he was the primary. And in Indiana, he went pretty wild. Which, look, looking back at last year, Sports Ethos was very high on Halliburton. And you could take some credit for that, because he was beating his ADP by about two rounds, even in Sacramento. But I don't think we can take credit for the fact that he got traded, because who could really predict that the Kings were going to trade the guy that looked like he was going to be their best player in a year and a half? But anyway, it worked out, because he played 26 games at the end of the year with Indiana, averaged 17.5 points, almost 10 assists per game, four boards, 2.4 combined defensive stats, 50-5-0% from the field, and 85% at the free throw line. He was a damn monster over those 26 games. Now, those numbers all sound very, very good, and they are. And this sort of blows my mind a little bit, even with all of those positives, because he was now a positive, he's a fantasy positive, in basically everything, I think except for rebounding. But at a point guard spot, that's still not bad at 4.3. That's the only one where you look at it like, all right, I guess that was sort of like an actual negative there. But 17.5 points, slightly above average. 2.23s was slightly above average. The assists were great. Hyper elite. Steals were elite. 0.6 blocks for a point guard. That's elite there. Kind of net neutral against the league, which is kind of amazing. Positive field goal, positive free throw. Slight negative turnover, but again, high usage guy. 3.3 is not overwhelming. Despite all of that, somehow, over the last third of the season, that still only put Tyrese at number 16 on a per-game basis, behind some very familiar and powerhouse names, obviously, guys we've been talking about. And you kind of have to look at it and think, okay, what's left to do here? Well, one of the good things, as you look at a guy like Halliburton, is that he only took 12.3 shots during that stretch with Indiana. Super efficient with them. Again, 50.5% from the field and then 85 at the free throw line. So this is a guy that you figure Indiana wants to get the ball to even more. Hey, be more aggressive even. Maybe get yourself up to 14 shots because if you're scoring almost a point and a half per field goal attempt... Each extra shot you take, you add 1.5. I mean, get him up to 14 shots, and you're talking about a guy who might score 20 this coming year. Get him up to 20 points. Get it all the way to a full 10 assists instead of 9.6. Maybe you get 3.3 foul shots up to 3.6 at that really good clip. I don't know that there's enough in Indiana to say, okay, Tyrese, you go and you take like 17, 18 shots a ball game. I just don't think that's his kind of basketball. He feels a lot, folks, from a fantasy mold like Chris Paul, who over his last 26 games averaged 16 and 12 with 1.8 steals at 52% from the field and 84% at the free throw line. Those two guys were almost carbon copies of each other. Chris Paul had two extra assists per game, Halliburton had an extra three-pointer. That was pretty much the only difference. So if you're wondering why I love Tyrese Halliburton, it's because he's new Chris Paul from the fantasy standpoint. He's longer than Paul. He probably has, from a uh, like an athleticism and scoring standpoint, he probably has a higher ceiling. I mean... A, Point guard-wise, I don't know if anybody has a higher ceiling than Chris Paul did, or does, still playing. But fantasy-wise, 
they're almost the same. But the question on today's podcast isn't whether or not I like Tyrese Halliburton, because I love it. The question is, does he have a case to be number two? Does he have a case to be number two? Is there a planet where he can get enough usage going to clear that last barricade? And the answer is I don't know, because the way he plays is so similar to Chris Paul that you just can't really see him taking more shots or enough to be like a 23-point-per-game scorer or to get to three threes per game. Or, you know, make it 11 assists per night. Or something that's just out of this world nuts. Where he then does jump over some of those kind of etched in stone top six or seven guys that we've already talked about. Like Ball, he was extraordinarily durable last year. Halliburton played in 76 games over the season. And so, even though... For the first 50 games this year, he was at number 30 in Sacramento. Actually, I think it was 70. Did he play in 77 games this year? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He was number seven by totals. If he if he played in 77 games as, you know, top 15, 16 per game fantasy guy, or let's say he does take a small step forward in Indiana and he gets up kind of near the turn like Trey Young was, if he plays in 77 games, then he's exactly what Trey Young was which was number four by totals. Still losing out to Joel Embiid, who missed 14 games but was just crazy good per game, and Cat, who played 74 games but per game was better than Trey and Tatum and Halliburton and Ball and all these guys. That said, Towns has taken a hit. We've already talked about. Trey's taken a hit. Ball and Halliburton are guys that are actually on the rise. And while maybe they don't have the best case on earth to be the number two pick in fantasy they've got pretty damn good cases to be made to be in the top five mostly because they played and even his first year in Sacramento where the Kings were kind of yanking him around he had some stuff going on and they were tanking Halliburton still played 58 out of 72 even in kind of a bad situation now again the problem with over-reliance on health is that it can go south quicker than the guys who don't need to be 100% healthy to get up near that mark. So there is, I believe, a continuing case to be made that the per-game monsters up at the top still have an edge in the case for number two. But it's hard to deny the fact that Halliburton, who was number seven this year, totals. Lamelo, who was number eight this year by totals. If they have room to grow, and with Halliburton, we know he has room to grow because over the entire season, he was at 15-8, and and we know damn well he was better than that in Indiana. So if he goes Indiana pace for 75-76 games, he might be the number three player this season. Jokic will probably be one. It's going to be hard, I think, for these guys to jump Embiid if he's anywhere near where he was this last season, like 64 games or more. Does Kevin Durant get into the mid-60s? If he does, he's up there in the top three as well. But then, then you're probably at these dudes. Steph, if he can play enough games, has a, a path there. Harden has a path there. Braun has a path there. Halliburton, Ball. And then maybe, maybe, one or even both of the gentlemen 
we will cover on Monday's show. Yeah, I like these young guys more than you thought I was going to, huh? Would I take them number two? Uh, Still going to be hard to convince me to do it over guys that have a really good case to be the number two or three per game players, even if they're a bit more injury prone. But damn, it's not far. And if they're going in the first round, it's because they should. We'll see, I guess. Have a great weekend, everybody. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. And next week, we've got a few more players to go on the race for number two. And then we'll try to start doing some bucket stuff uh, while also still kind of understanding that it's fluid. Big trades are still hanging in the balance. We might have to massage the topics a little bit for next week. Shout out, as always, to our baseball and our football guys. And a reminder that on Monday, NFL Premium drops at Sports Ethos for the first time in our site's storied six-year history. (laughs) I know, we're still young, but really excited about that. Steve and his team have put together a fantastic set of football information, a rank board, top 175 roughly, for football, for your draft sleepers, depth charts, offensive line ranks, if you want to go a little deeper, where the consensus is wrong, so get out of there. ADPs are way off the mark. And the avoid guys. First NFL draft guide we've ever put out at Sports Ethos. Really excited about that. And guess what? It's available in the Fantasy Pass. Too easy, man. Too easy. Go to sportsethos.com. Hover over the premium tab and learn more, and hopefully you guys will jump aboard as well. Second time I'll say it, but it still counts. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. So long.